Well, this spring, we are putting the spotlight on a question, and that question is, what is our place in the church? As we seek to find our place in the church, what does the Bible say we are supposed to be doing together? And so far, what we've seen is that our place in the church is a place for worshipers. And last week, we saw that it is a place for people who are devoted not just to worshiping God, but to the fellowship of believers. And today, we take another step in that direction and see that God has a place for us in His church as servants. In fact, God's church is entirely made up of servants. The highest calling, the only calling in God's church is that of being a servant. The scripture tells us that God has saved us to serve and that each of us is to be a servant. Paul wrote, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. That's exciting that God saved us. He put us in the church right where he wants us to be so that we can serve in the way that we can serve. Peter put it this way when he said, As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So each one, everyone, is to be a servant in the church. I especially like how Paul put it in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. Listen to this. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's God's purpose for the church, that each of us is doing our part in service, causing each other to grow and causing God's love to be seen, therefore, amplified and more clearly through His people, the church. And so God wants us all to be servants. And the good news is, is that God has gifted us all so that we can be servants. Each of us has a gift from God to serve. As we read from Peter, as each one has received a gift, serve one another. Or as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 12 and verse 4, as in one body, and it has many members, the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. My body has a bunch of different parts, and they don't all do the same thing. They all do different things, and God has gifted each part of my body so that it can fulfill its function, so that the body can do what God had created the body to do. And so I don't have to feel inferior that I don't have the gift that you have. I'm glad God gave you that gift. Use it, and I'll use mine. But neither do I feel superior because I may have a gift that you don't have. Because after all, it is a gift. It is something that has been given by God. And therefore, it should be used for God's people and for God's glory. And so the Bible teaches us that God has saved us all so that we will serve. And he has gifted us all so that we can do that well. And it's probably worth some time to just stop and think about the ways that God has especially gifted you to serve. Just think about the, the different opportunities that God has given you that others don't have. How can you use those to serve? How can you use the possessions, whether they be great or whether they be small, that you have 
that you can use to serve God's purposes, the unique personality that you have, how God can use that personality to serve in ways that others maybe cannot. Think about the experiences that God has led you through with faith. And you can use those experiences and His role in helping you keep your faith to serve His people and His cause. Think about the different things that He has taught you from His Word that you can share with others. Think about the place where you live or the people that you know. Even think about the gender that you are or the age that you are, whether it be young or whether it's old. I mean, you just can't stop thinking about all of the gifts that God has given us that enable us to be servants in a particular way. In fact, the Apostle Paul there in Romans chapter 12 lists a number of them. He says, some of you are going to be good at doing acts of mercy. Others of you are going to really be good at generosity. Some of you good are going to be really great at teaching, and others of you are going to show hospitality. And he lists all kinds of different gifts. In fact, it would really be wonderful a wonderful experience for us to take the time to go through what the New Testament teaches that the early church did in service to one another and God. I mean, it would be a full-length sermon series that could go for a long time, and it would never be exhaustive. Because the fact is that there is such a need for servants and there are so many varied situations where service is needed that we couldn't cover them all. And so what I've planned for us to do this morning is to take a ride along with a servant. You know, when somebody wants to maybe be a police officer, they'll ask, if, can I do a ride along? And they get to sit in the passenger seat and see a real, a real servant do it. And as they watch, they see what's entailed in it. And so they'll know what to do if they ever get in that situation. Well, today, I want us to take a ride along with a servant. He's a servant that not a lot of people have ridden along with. And yet, I think he is one that each of us, no matter who we are, young or old, new Christian, old Christian, we can see something in the way that he served that will... I think, inspire us to be the servants that God wants us to be in His church. But let me set the scene. The scene is set by this servant appearing in the final weeks of Paul's life. The Apostle Paul is in a Roman dungeon, a Roman prison cell. Here is a man who has preached to great crowds. He has converted thousands, and now at the end of his life, he finds himself in total isolation. His dear friend Titus, he has left in Crete. His son in the faith, Timothy, he has left behind in Ephesus to encourage the church. His traveling companion, Erastus, he has left behind in Corinth. His dear friend Trophimus, he's had to leave behind in Miletus because he is so sick he might die. And for some reason, he even left behind his coat and his books and his parchments in the city of Troas. And he travels across the Aegean Sea to this little town called Nicopolis. And there he plans to spend the winter. But evidently there at Nicopolis, he was arrested. He was taken to Rome, 
This time he is accused of being treasonous against Caesar. He has been under arrest in Rome before, and that time he was in a home where people could just come and visit him back and forth, and he could even teach the Praetorium Guard about who Jesus was. But this time he has no such freedom. This time he is not in a home. This time he is in a prison. This time he doesn't expect to be released. This time he expects to die. And as he is sitting there in that prison cell, separated from all of the friends and all of the things that meant so much to him, he thinks of two other men who have left him as well. They were men in Asia. They were friends that he thought would be great proclaimers of the gospel. Their names Phygelus and Hermogenes. And he thought, these guys are going to hold forth the truth in Asia. And yet the text says that even they deserted him. And so here is the Apostle Paul at the end of his life, having given his life so much for the cause of Christ and for the souls of people, he finds himself in total isolation. He is alone. But thankfully, Paul doesn't just sit there and think about all of the people who left him. He spends a lot of time thinking about the people who would have been there if they could have. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he talks about his son in the faith, Timothy. And he says, Timothy, I know you would have been here if you could have. And I remember your tears on my behalf. And I wish that I could see you so that I could have joy. At the end of the letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he remembers Priscilla and Aquila, those dear friends that he had worked with in so many occasions for the gospel and for tent making. And he remembers them fondly, and he sends them a greeting through Timothy. But then, at the beginning and end of the book, Timothy, Paul, there in that place of isolation and loneliness, remembers a servant. A servant that meant so much to him and so much to the church. And it's that servant I want us to ride along with this morning. And this is what Paul says about him. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. 2 Timothy 1 verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome... He searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know well all the service he rendered to me in Ephesus. This servant's name is Onesiphorus. And he is mentioned here and he is mentioned again in the fourth chapter where Timothy is said, please greet his family. He is from Ephesus where Timothy is. Everything about Onesiphorus is said in the past tense, and only his family is greeted, which has caused a lot of Bible students to think that perhaps this noble Christian has died already. But it is impressive that in these final hours of his life, the Apostle Paul remembers somebody most of us don't even know, a humble servant named Onesiphorus. 
because he was such an encouragement, such a refreshment to him. Notice what it says in verse 16, He often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. This word refresh is great. It's found a few times in our New Testament. And it is a word which means to refresh or to heal by blowing upon something. You know, when the kids come in and they've scraped their, their you, you clean it all up and you go, you blow on it. Oh, now it's all better, right? We know that, that wounds are healed when there is fresh air that is present. And what this word is, is this is a word or a deed that is done in somebody else's life that breathes spiritual health and vitality and strength into their life. This is what it means to be a refresher. And I really wonder what Onesiphorus did to bring such refreshment to the Apostle Paul. Maybe he brought him a blanket. That helped. Or maybe some food. Or maybe he brought him news about how the churches were doing. Paul would have loved that. Or maybe he just brought Paul encouragement from the Scriptures. Remember, he said, Paul, all the great promises of God that he has prepared for those who love him. Whatever Onesiphorus did, he could have done a thousand different things. But I'll tell you, the most refreshing thing that Onesiphorus did was Onesiphorus brought Onesiphorus. There is nothing so encouraging than to know that just somebody else cares. And he brought the refreshment that even the Apostle Paul needed to have. And the text says that he did this often. He often refreshed me. And think about the circumstance in which he's doing this. The Apostle Paul is in prison for treason. He is on, if you will call, death row. And here is Onesiphorus coming and showing himself to be a friend to such a man. If you can arrest one man for treason, you can certainly arrest two men for treason. And yet he goes into that situation and he walks past that Roman guard and he says, I want to talk to Paul. And he goes up and he gives him the encouragement, the kiss of fellowship that even the Apostle Paul desperately needed. I wanted to focus on Onesiphorus as we thought about what it meant to be a servant in God's church because I think that he is something that we can all relate to. Onesiphorus was a great servant even though he didn't have a master's degree in psychology. He didn't have a certificate in counseling. He wasn't a part of a big brotherhood program. He couldn't write checks off of a deep uh, bank account. But here is a man who just took who he was and he became a breath of fresh air to an apostle that kept him alive in faith and in hope as he was approaching his impending death. And from him, I think we learn what it takes to be a servant. We're all called to be servants and we all have gifts to serve, but what it takes to serve, it takes First of all, unselfishness. That's what it took for Onesiphorus. And of course, this is at the point most of us come to the plate with two strikes against us. I know, baseball just started, right? And we come to the plate with two strikes against us because we live in a culture that has taught us to be selfish and we sometimes don't even recognize it. Let me 
put it this way. What is it to make a profit? We all want to make a profit, right? In business, we want to make profits. So what does it mean to make a profit? To make a profit means that you put in less than you get out. I paid $5,000 for that piece of property, and now I've gotten $200,000 out of it. I made a profit. Life is good. But a loss is when I have to put in more than I get out of it. And I put $2,000, $200,000 in that piece of property, and I only got $5,000 out of it. That's a loss. That's not good. And from early on, we learn to evaluate everything in our life based upon the question, am I going to get out of it more than I have to put into it? And that works against being a servant. To be a servant, we must be willing to put into something way more than we're ever going to get out of it. Because God calls us to serve people that are not able to give us nearly as much as we are able to give them. Think about the, uh, the servant Onesiphorus. He goes and he serves the Apostle Paul at a time in which Paul cannot return the favor. He can't go to say, hey, I'm just here to give you some encouragement, brother, and help you out a bit. And Paul says, well, I'm so glad you did. I'll come over to your house next week with macaroni casserole. He couldn't do that because where he was, he needed help more than he could give service. To be a servant, we must be willing to be unselfish. We must be willing to give a lot more than we're going to receive. But, of course, that's what love does. Love is not self-seeking. By the way, that's what Jesus did for us, isn't it? Why did he leave heaven to come to earth? If you're in heaven, why do you ever leave heaven? <laughs> when he left heaven to come to earth for our sake, did he really even get more? He's got everything he needs in heaven. He is totally self-sufficient in and of himself. He came not for his getting more, but for giving us what we needed. And in such, we see his glory, a glory that was always there in the beginning. Being a servant takes unselfishness. Being a servant, Onesiphorus teaches us, takes awareness. You notice verse 17, Onesiphorus, when he was in Rome, the text says, he searched hard for me earnestly until he found me. You see, Onesiphorus came to Rome not because Paul picked up his cell phone and said, hey, brother, I'm kind of discouraged here. He didn't send him a text message. He didn't see a post on Instagram. The reason Onesiphorus showed up is he heard Paul was in prison. And he suspected somebody in that kind of situation needed some help. And so he got on his donkey and he got on his boat and he, drove, and he rode, I don't know, he got all the way to Rome somehow. And when he got there, he searched for Paul hard. You know the reason why? It's because they didn't have one prison in Rome. They had dozens of prisons in Rome. And he went one to the other, to the other, to the other, and to the other until he found the Apostle Paul. He was not going to give up until he found Paul to say to him, you matter to me. 
He was aware. He realized somebody in Paul's situation needs encouragement. And a real servant does that. A real servant doesn't have to be asked or bullied, never, or intimidated or begged to be a part of something. A real servant just has a God-given sense of discernment. They're sensitive. They suspect there might be a need, and they make the first move. So the best servants I've ever known in my life are those kind of people that know there just must be a need there. I'm just going to go and take the initiative and help. Onesiphorus was determined to take track down Paul because he suspected he needed some encouragement. Now, we need that. We need to be aware because the fact of us is that most of us are not very good at announcing our needs. Not many of us come in here on Sunday and say, oh, I need some service. We come in here and say, everything's good. How's it going with you? I'm pretty good. How about you? I'm pretty good too. We're really good at saying we're good. The very best we do is we give these little hints that things may not just be what they ought to be. And what a servant does is they become attuned to those little hints. And they go and ask, is there something? It's okay that there is because all of everybody needs. Is there something we can talk about? Is there something we can do? We are bold. We're alert. We take the initiative to breathe fresh air on the faith of our brothers and sisters. It takes unselfishness. It takes awareness. And to be a servant like Onesiphorus, it also takes humility. People who serve are often not recognized, not noticed. I won't ask you to do this, but how many of you, no, I won't ask you, here, hands down, did you know Onesiphorus was in the Bible? I think that if some of us were honest, we'd say, I thought that was some kind of disease. I mean, we don't name our children Onesiphorus, do we? We name them Paul and Peter and John, but we don't name them Onesiphorus. Who's that? Servants rarely get their names spread across social media. They rarely are listed in the family matters or given a plaque. Service is often done unseen. In fact, our best service are the things that we do that nobody else knows about other than the person we served. Servants serve humbly. But do you think that it mattered to the Apostle Paul that Onesiphorus wasn't one of the great preachers in the brotherhood? When that Roman prison, uh, jailer came up to the door and said, Paul, you got a visitor. And he said, oh, who is it? He says, what's your name? Onesiphorus. Oh, man, I thought it was going to be Peter. Where is Peter? I would like to sure see him. Is that what he does? And he goes, oh, open that door, get that guy in here. He didn't care who he was. He was just glad that somebody saw him, suspected he needed some encouragement, and came. In fact, some of the best servants, I believe, are going to be those when we stand before God in judgment, and we all will, 
We will stand before Him on the basis of our service, how we have taken the, taken the talents and gifts that He has given us and used, us, used in His kingdom. And I believe that on that day, we're going to find, as Jesus said, that it is some of those who are least in the kingdom of heaven that are going to be the greatest. Because they were the servants. Nobody knew their name. But in faith, they constantly were involved in serving the needs of the saints, strengthening their faith, and serving the world in which God had placed them. It takes humility to be a servant. And as we're driving along with Onesephorus, the thing that impresses me the most as I'm watching him is that this boy's got some courage. To be a servant takes courage. I tell you, put yourself in Onesiphorus' shoes. He is not going to encourage some guy living next door to him. He's all the way in Rome. He, had to take, he didn't take his vacation time to go do this. He had to leave his family, his stream of income. He had to leave the comforts of home to go all the way there. And when he gets there, who is he associating with but somebody who is already a condemned criminal guilty of treason? And as I said... If you show yourself a friend to a traitor, you might just be arrested as a traitor. In fact, it is possible that all the things said about him are in the past tense because he's already died. Maybe he's already died because he had the courage to associate himself with a man in the dirty, filthy, death row prison of Rome. Service, my friends, is a hard thing to do. It goes beyond the kind greetings that take place in the building. It has to do with sweat and care and action when it's not easy. It means getting into the hard and sometimes ugly and tough things of people's lives so that they will walk with Jesus. And I must confess to you that many times God has compelled me to go serve somebody, and I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go because I didn't know what to say about the diagnosis that they just got or the grief of loss that they were suffering. And sometimes I didn't want to go because I knew what to say. They were sinning and making bad choices, and I knew what to say, but I was concerned about how they would respond. And sometimes I didn't want to go because I knew to serve someone with real needs is going to mean that I'm going to take on some of their pain and some of their grief and some of their questions. But servants go. They take up the courage and they go and they serve the needs of others because that's why God put us in His church. We all have a role of being a servant, and each of us need each of us to care. A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born for times of adversity. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. God wants His church to be a church filled with courageous, humble, aware, unselfish servants. But as we think about being a servant, I want us to think clearly about why we're servants. At this point, I hope we all see we have a role to serve 
and we're going to pick it up and we're going to use it. But I want us to be careful about why we're doing it. I want us to realize that we do not serve to be loved by others or by God. That's not why we serve. We do not serve to be loved by others or from God because some of us helpers deep down serve others because we want to be loved and we want to be accepted. And I admit that I have run several laps on that hamster wheel myself. I have thought to myself, if I will just serve them in the right way, maybe they'll like me. Maybe they'll want to be a part of things. Maybe they'll appreciate us. Conversely, I've thought, if I don't serve them when they want, the way they want, well, then maybe they won't love me. And maybe they won't want or maybe they will want to bring the hammer down on me. I'll tell you the way that you fall off that hamster wheel of trying to serve to be loved is you fall off that hamster wheel with a heart attack. That's how you do it. We don't serve to be loved by people. We don't even serve to be loved by God. We serve because we have already been fully loved and accepted by God. And we're trying to share that with others. That's why we serve. Oh, don't ever get in that idea that you serve because you're trying to please people. You serve because you've been fully loved and accepted by God. And I know that this lesson is all about being a servant, but can I say something real quick about being willing to be served? <laughs> I mean, if we're all servants, what do we need? We need somebody to serve. And at some point, all of us are going to be the servant and the served. In fact, the Apostle Paul spent most of his life serving others, but this was the time that he needed to be served also. Some don't like to accept the service of others because of pride. They hide their needs. They are afraid that if they let somebody else know that they have some pains, and they have some problems, and they have some flaws, that they won't be loved. Not in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, He loves the unlovely, and He serves the, those who are in need. His compassion knows no bounds for those who are suffering and in pain, and He wants us to be His hands and His eyes and His voice. Everyone needs to be served. And so... When somebody senses that you're in need, let them help. And when no one knows that you have a need, have the courage to go and tell somebody you trust about it and let them serve. That's God's place for us in His church to be servants because there are many who need to be served. But, of course, our lesson is really about this, isn't it? Everyone needs to serve. And I, as, there's always a danger after a sermon like this for somebody to sit there and go, you know, I wish somebody would start being a servant around here. i got a bunch of needs. And, and, yeah, you probably do, and I do too. We need servants. But along with that thought, let me ask you to think another one. Think to yourself, who am I being a servant to? 
Because, my friends, there is something healing about that question. There is a purpose that comes with that question. Who am I being a servant to? Yes, God calls all of His people to be servants, and He calls them all to be served. And the comforting truth of this whole topic is that while other people may not know all of our service, and they, some people may not even appreciate our service, and some people may represent, misrepresent our service, the fact is, is that God sees servants. One of my favorite passages through the years has been this one. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, Hebrews 6 and verse 10, God is not unjust. He won't forget your work and the labor of love which you have shown towards His name. How? By serving the saints, as you still do. God doesn't forget the service of His people. Jesus said, Whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. Isn't that exciting? That when we are doing our roles of being servants... We are actually serving whoever it might be, not only their faith, their needs. We are having a role in serving Jesus himself. After all, who are we? We are the body of Christ. And when you serve the body of Christ, you serve him. And so, my friends, we speak today from the gospel, a message that is unique in the world in which we live, that says your role in a local church is to be a servant to be a manifestation of Jesus Christ himself who came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I've said for many years, Jesus gave his life for the church and he calls us to do the same. If you need to respond to the gospel, we want to give you an opportunity to come to the one who gave his service and his life for you so that you can be forgiven of your sins. If you need to confess your faith in Him and be baptized in the name of Jesus and join this family of service, then we ask that you'll do that as we stand and sing together.